Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Sallallahu ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Allahumma salli ala seyyidina Muhammed. Tibbin kulubi ve dawaiha. Ve afiyetil abdani ve şifaiha. Ve nuril abasari ve diyaiha. Ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. I need to look at something real quick. Yes, so a dear friend of ours, who many of you probably know, um, but I don't know how much of it I'm uh, entitled to share but a dear friend of ours who many of you probably know um, who currently lives overseas will be having a surgery in about two hours it's a very important surgery Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him shifa and uh, help him to come out of it fully healed from uh, what is ailing him and may Allah give patience to him and his family. <coughs> very, very good person. Someone very special. So we hope and pray that uh, everything goes well with that. Inshallah. Bismillah. We start uh, or we resume in the section that we left off in. On the second section of the hikam on the warnings about the caprices of the ego warnings about the caprices of the ego and we left off on the line of the poem if I'm not mistaken and if I am then we'll have a slight repetition uh, where the author said the nazim the poet said فاصرف هواها وحاذر أن توليه إن الهوى ما تولى يسمي أو يصمي which can be translated as divert its vain desires and beware of giving it power for vain desires pollute or destroy whatever they control beware of its vain desires or, uh, divert its vain desires and beware of giving it power for vain desires pollute or destroy whatever they control I think we may have covered this but in any case uh, we'll just do it again um, so uh, this is again dealing with the issue of the hawa the hawa the vain desires of the individual the base desires of the individual and trying to uh, beware of those inclinations and to beware of following the callings of those inclinations uh, knowing that whatever whatever happens when we do that it will not be for our own benefit if we follow those vain desires it will not be for our own benefit it will harm us and the commentator he says rahimahullah ta'ala here the author, may Allah have mercy upon him, advises his interlocutor by saying, Divert the vain desires of your lower self and prevent them from reaching your heart. 
Do not help it attain its pleasures and do not consent uh, to its aims. If you fail to heed my command, then beware, lest your lower self turns against you and rules, rules over you as it wishes, in which case you will have ceded authority to it and allowed it to rule over you, making you the servant of your lower self and not the servant of your Lord. It is stated in the Hikam of Ibn Atta'Allah as secondary, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Never do you love something without you being a slave to it. But he does not want you to become a slave to any other besides him. And the Prophet ﷺ said, May he perish, the slave of the dinar and the dirham, and the slave of fine clothing. Let him perish and relapse, and if he is pricked by a thorn, let him not find anyone to remove it for him. Yes, we did cover this. Uh, and So I'll just continue reading, and then we'll go to the next one. One of the Salaf said, Shaytan has several traps that he sets for man. If he finds someone suffering from weak faith, he will remove his faith altogether and destroy him. And if he finds someone with strong faith whom he is unable to ensnare or trap, he will content him with doing actions that are offensive, makruh, make vain passions beloved to him, and urge him to commit lewd acts in private that degrade his moral standing. Perhaps the author alludes to this when he says, for vain desires pollute or destroy whatever they control. Which leads us then to the next verse. وَرَاعِهَا وَهِيَا فِي الْأَعْمَالِ سَائِمَةٌ وَإِنْ هِيَ اسْتَحْلَتِ الْمَرْعَى فَلَا تُسِيمِي وَإِنْ هِيَ اسْتَحْلَتِ الْمَرْعَى فَلَا تُسِيمِي Guard it as it grazes in the field of actions. And should it find the grazing sweet, do not let it roam. So uh, I, I think it's good to remind ourselves again that uh, the author of the poem is a student of one of the greatest spiritual masters in all of Islamic history uh, Sayyid Abu al-Abbas al-Mursi radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, and that's not an exaggeration like in terms of at least the spiritual masters who are known and who had students he is one of the greatest in Muslim history and so when the poet writes a chapter on uh, dealing with the issues of the self and the ego he's speaking from a position of knowledge practically and theoretically number one number two is the commentary that we're reading is also written by a great spiritual master so there are things to benefit from here uh, this this thing this chapter actually itself could be its own kind of like a workshop or seminar, just just the section on purification of the soul from the Hikam. I'm sorry, from the Burda. وَرَاعِهَا وَهِيَ فِي الْأَعْمَالِ سَائِمَةٌ وَإِنْ هِيَ اسْتَحْلَةِ الْمَرْعَى فَلَا تُسِمِي So what is he saying here? He's saying guard it, guard the nafs, guard the base self, as it grazes in the fields of actions. So سَائِمَةٌ, this description here, that's what's usually used for animals that are grazing. So now you have the nafs, the imagery is you have the nafs, and the nafs is grazing in the fields of different deeds. It's not specifying is it good or bad. It's grazing in the, in the fields of deeds. And should it find the grazing sweet, do not let it roam. Should it find the grazing sweet, do not let it roam. And again, he's not talking about here even things that are unacceptable. He's talking about things that are acceptable. 
Uh, in the commentary, he says, If you sense that your lower self finds an action sweet and inclined strongly towards it, even if that thing is permissible or recommended, then consider it suspect and know that your lower self only takes delight in the action and loves to graze in it and hasten to perform it because of a stealthy aim or ulterior motive that is realized through or by means of it, such as having a good reputation, fulfilling a hidden desire, or become or because of self-admiration, enjoying the praise of others, delighting in hearing his name mentioned, or having an increase in energy when others see his works. So what's being talked about here is that even when a person is doing things that are good, they can still be in a problematic place. And the lack of understanding around this issue amongst common Muslims is, in, in my estimation, one of our big problems. Because you have people who are committed to externally, uh, apparently, following the way of the Prophet them, And they do all of these good things. But they do all of these good things without an understanding of the role of the nafs in our spiritual life. And the necessity of battling the nafs in our spiritual life. And so, as a result of all of that, they don't really attend to it. And so oftentimes you'll find people who do so much good, uh, but the things that they say or the perspectives that they have sometimes betray that there is at least a good portion of that that's coming from the nefs. It's coming from wanting to be seen doing good. You hear this a lot, unfortunately, and this is really, really dangerous. You hear this a lot um, in parents whose children memorize Qur'an, or who they really push their children to memorize Qur'an. You hear this a lot in parents who do that. You know, my son is a hafid. And they're not saying it out of like, Alhamdulillah, may Allah preserve him. May Allah give him the tawfiq to act upon what he's learned. Or may he make him a person of action, or her a person of action, or so on and so forth. They're saying it out of like, I want to compare myself to you. And they're basically bragging about it, which is a horrible thing to do. Right? Like to, to bring nefs into that It's a very very dangerous thing to do And yet you'll find it all the time um, You'll find people who uh, in your, I've, I've had people in the, Within the first few seconds of speaking to them They feel that it's important To tell me how many masjids They've been part of founding And you know I mean like may Allah accept from you I don't know why you're telling me this In the first two minutes that I just met you I mean I'm not assuming one way or the other. They could just be completely heedless. There's there's one possibility is that they're completely heedless of the reality of the nefs, which would make you want to uh, not tell people about those kind of things. Um, or, I, I don't know, whatever. Whatever the possibilities might be, it's not a good look. Um, and this is, again, very common. Very, very common. And... Uh, we we have to remind ourselves that these things that we do, if we're trying to do them for Allah, then that demands sincerity, and that demands uh, a an understanding of the role of our nefs. Because if it's about our nefs, then the sincerity is lost. If it's about other people and their praise, or how we look in front of them, or the position that we hold, or people, you know looking upon us with some sort of esteem and so on and so forth. These things can be very, very dangerous in the, in, in the spiritual journey of everything that we're doing. 
And, uh, you know, this is not like something that the scholars just made up, which is a funny concept in and of itself. Um, for, like... <laughs> sometimes we have this thing where we think that what we understood now is somehow more pure than what 1200 years of people understood or 1300 years of people understood not to say that individuals can't make mistakes but if you have something that is continuous for over a thousand years it's probably likely that they knew something um but in any case uh allah says that as for the one who fears the standing in front of their Lord and prevents their nafs from its desires, from its hawa. That the nafs is prevented from its desires. For those people, Jannah is the abode for them. Okay, Jannah is the abode for them. Paradise is the abode for them. So this is very central to, to our religion, is my point. And um, again, you know, this issue of the nafs and what it calls us to is a universal problem. No one is free from it. Uh, some individuals maybe have worked harder to restrain it and hence have a better understanding of it. But it doesn't mean that they are absolved of uh, of of this issue the nafs will always be there it is stated in the hikam that is such a beautiful one we covered this as well um, actually let me read before that a person is responsible for his flock and the direst thing under his care is his own self for it only inclines to what will destroy him, even if it is outwardly an act of obedience and goodness. It is stated in the Hikam, the ego's share in disobedience is obvious and clear, while its share in obedience is inward and hidden. Curing what is hidden is a difficult course. So this is, it's, it's not an easy thing to recognize that, wait a second, maybe there's some other things going on here. It's not, not an easy thing to do. Sayyidi Muhammad ibn Abad al-Rundi said, so the commentary of ibn Abad is kind of like the uh, a very beginning level commentary on the hikam, uh, just for your reference. I don't believe that it's translated. But he said the following, It is in the nature of the lower self to always seek after its share and flee from fulfilling rights owed to others. It strives only in pursuit of its own interest, even when in, when in acts of obedience, not to mention acts of disobedience. Anyone who takes his lower self to account and carefully observes his passing thoughts will confirm this. It is possible that you experience energy and enjoyment from one type of worship that you do not find in another, even though the other type is more virtuous than the one in which you find energy and enjoyment. This is only because the share of the ego in the former is greater than what is found in the latter. And because of their awareness of the ego's machinations and plots, the people of experience and spiritual insight reproach themselves when they find their egos getting accustomed to a particular area of worship, so they confound their egos and move on to other acts of worship. So they intentionally will do things to be like, ah, I see you. You're pushing me in this direction. 
And I'm not, even though this is a good thing, I'm not going to give in to you. And then they do something else. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He also says in the commentaries, Sheikh Abu Bakr al-Khaffaf radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, I heard our teacher relate that Ahmed ibn Arqam al-Benkhi, may Allah be pleased with him, said, My ego once spoke to me about going out for battle. So I said, Glory be to Allah, Allah Most High says, Verily the ego ever commands to evil. But here my ego is commanding me to do something good. That can never be. The fact of the matter is that it felt lonely and wanted to meet with other people and repose with them and wanted people to hear about it so they could receive it with honor, largesse, and kindness. So I said to it, Rather, I bid you stay put. It accepted my demand, but then I held it in suspicion again and said, Allah is the most truthful in statement. Then I said to it, I shall go and fight the enemy and you will be the first to be slain. It accepted my decision, so I prayed, Lord, tell me what I should do, for I hold my ego in suspicion and believe in your words. I later intuited that it was telling me, Each day you kill me by going against my wants and preventing me from my desires, and no one notices it in the least. So if you go and fight and are killed, it will be a single killing, and I will be saved from you. And people will hear about you and say that Ahmed has been martyred. Then I shall have honor and goodly mention among people. So that year I stayed back and did not go out to battle. Then he says in the comment, that was all the statement of uh, the Shaykh who was mentioned. Then the commentator says, So when the ego finds an action sweet, do not leave it there, but move it on to another action, as the author indicates when he says, And should it find the grazing sweet, do not let it roam. Okay, so there's a number of things here. Um, First of all, We do have just uh, a leaning in ourselves towards particular types of worship over others. That's that's normal. And it doesn't mean necessarily that we're doing it for our base desires. It might just mean that that's something that we're more inclined to. Um, on top of that, uh, these things vary for people at different stages in their journey. Like, for example, someone who is maybe not accustomed to doing a lot of good might feel inclined to a particular type of good, and it may be good for them to follow that so that they can become someone who's accustomed to doing things that are good and staying away from things that are bad. And then perhaps over time, they may find, okay, I have too much of an attachment to this particular type of good, and I want to broaden it a little bit, so I'm going to do this or that or so on. So don't take this as like everyone has to be at the same place and make the same choices. The main takeaway here is to recognize that uh, that this can happen. That there can be hadhun lin nafs. There can be a share for the nafs in the good that we do. And we should be conscious of that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should abandon the good that we do. For example, these people who are leaving a particular thing because of that feeling and then doing something else, they are people of enough uh, commitment and dedication and discipline that if they leave one thing and put their efforts somewhere else, their efforts aren't going to decrease. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their efforts aren't going to decrease. So some people, for example, if they have an inclination towards one particular type of good and they say, okay, I think I need to do a different thing. When they go to do that other thing, they end up doing nothing. 
This is, n this is not the case of kind of like the example of the people that are being talked about here. So, you know, keep these things in mind. Don't go too much overboard. And try to take things step by step. The easiest way to do things that are against ourselves is to serve people. Because, you know, nobody likes to do that all the time. Uh, we like to do it sometimes. But if we make it a continuous habit, that my intention is to serve whatever that might be. It might be returning a message, it might be visiting someone, it might be helping them out, it might be cleaning their bathroom. Whatever it might be, they serve them. And we make that a continuous intention. And through that intention then, we're able to discipline ourselves, perhaps. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us victory over our nafs. Well, there's, there's no victory except by His leave and by His aid, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, so we must never forget that. Then he continues. كَمْ حَسَّنَتْ لَذَّةً لِلْمَرْءِ قَاتِلَةً مِنْ حَيْثُ لَمْ يَدْرِي أَنَّ السُّمَّ فِي الدَّسَمِي Which means how often it has found delight, the nafs again, how often it has found delight in something fatal. For one cannot tell that there is poison in the fat. One cannot tell that there is poison in the fat. So this is kind of like an old thing. People would poison each other a lot. And you put the poison, they put the poison in the fat. You eat the fat, you don't realize that the poison is in it, but you get poisoned. Um... Of course, there's like a million modern examples of that. May Allah help us. Like everything in the candy aisle is an example of that. Everything in the soda aisle is an example of that. Everything that has all of this stuff in it that we can't pronounce is an example of that. <coughs> so, it's a type of poison that's put inside of something else that we can't really recognize and we just enjoy it and we're killing ourselves. May Allah forgive us. But the point here is that the nafs makes it so that the person actually is poisoning themselves and they don't realize that they're doing it. So it's not necessarily enough to be like, oh, I just love this thing. Allah put the love of this thing in your heart, in my heart. Well, maybe your nafs put the love of that thing in your heart. You know, as we've talked about before, uh, we don't believe that there's only one type of khatir, khatira, that there's only one type of thought or inclination that's put into the heart and the soul and the mind of the believer, but that they can come from multiple sources. They can come from Allah, they can come from the angels, they can come from the nafs, they can come from shaitan. So just because I feel inclined to something doesn't necessarily mean it correct. Just because I feel something doesn't make it right. And uh, of course, this is very difficult to accept uh, because all of the philosophical framework that we live in is predicated upon the idea that whatever I feel is right and whatever I feel is correct and that's just not necessarily the case that's why we have alhamdulillah the sharia the sharia disciplines us the sunnah of the prophet وسلم, disciplines us and it clarifies us clarifies for us the difference between what is right and what is wrong uh, so we, we can't always tell It may be that there's poison put inside of the fat The commentator, he says Here the author, may Allah have mercy on him, says Do not leave the lower self to engage in what it finds sweet and pleasurable For it often finds delight in things that are outwardly good but inwardly bad 
It is the nature of the lower self always to consider pleasurable things lovely and to crave for things that bring blameworthy consequences. Uh, here in my notes on the side I wrote, Don't do you until you can know the true you from the nefs. Which is related to what I was just saying. You know, this whole idea of like, I'm just going to be me and I'm going to be the most authentically me, authentically uh, authentic me that I possibly can. You're going to be the most authentically inspired shaitanic you that you can understand. That's not the authentic you. That's the authentic nefs calling you to what is the worst in you. And as one of our uh, beloved community members and teachers says that his mother used to tell him a beautiful wisdom. Allah have mercy on her. She used to tell him, don't let the worst of you get the best of you. Don't let the worst of you get the best of you. And so don't just do you. And until there's a uh, submission to Allah and a sincere and committed following of the Sharia and a true <coughs> um, commitment to traversing the spiritual path to purify the self, there is no knowing the you in the first place. You, one cannot know themselves without these things. There's too many barriers in the way. So... You know, do you by all means. But the you that responded to Allah when Allah said, Am I not your Lord? And it said, Yes, indeed you are my Lord. That you, that's the you that we want to be. Uh, but not the other one. Not not the one that is a nafs al-ammaru to be suit. The nafs that is calling towards evil. <coughs> so we must be careful in this. Excuse me. The Prophet said in a hadith, Paradise is surrounded by distasteful things while hellfire is surrounded by desires. Paradise is surrounded by distasteful things and the hellfire is surrounded by desires. And in another hadith on the day of resurrection, a man who was the most affluent of the people of the world will be brought forth and dipped into hellfire for only a single moment. Then he will be asked, did you ever experience any pleasure? He will say, no, by Allah. I never experienced it. Then a man who was the most downtrodden person in the world will be brought forth and dipped into paradise for only a single moment. Then he will be asked, did you ever experience any hardship? He will say, no, by Allah. I never experienced any. Calling us to look towards that reward which is delayed To delay our gratification To delay the gratification Eventually if we make it to paradise Everything that we could have ever hoped for or imagined for Will be there And all good will be fulfilled in that time uh, But to seek it before it's time Is to not get it in its time Which is Um one of the legal maxims That the one who rushes something before its time Will be punished by being prevented from it That everything has a time So again this is saying What is this saying? This, this particular verse of the poem is saying How often it has found delight in something fatal For one cannot tell that there is poison in the fat this is a truth we must recognize 
And uh, again, it's not the easiest one to swallow, to recognize that I will inevitably, at times, perceive certain things to be good and in my benefit, and they will not be. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably things we can think of that fall into that category. I can think of some in the moment. I don't think it's necessary to share that. People can do their own kind of reflective exercises in that regard. Just think about it. And especially as we're younger, this is, you know, when we're younger, we tend to do this more. We tend to really be sure that our happiness and our pleasure is falling in certain, it will come in certain areas when it's actually not good for us. And anyone who's been a parent knows this apparently. This is apparent for anyone who has been a parent. It's like right there in your face. Because every single day your kids want to do something that you know is not good for them and they can't really understand it. And later on they'll understand it. And this is one of the things that makes, you know, it's really, really important to be in community. It's really, really important to be around those who have lived their lives, who are older than us. Because they will recognize problems in places that um, that we won't be able to recognize. And people that we can take shura from. You know, we can take their advice, we can seek their counsel. I mean, subhanAllah, just today two things happened that I thought were interesting. One of them was that someone asked me a question and I can tell that... I understood from the way that they asked the question that there was an issue that they had been thinking about for some time. And... Uh, and like the answer was found relatively quickly so uh, like sometimes we just have to ask the right person and uh, they'll be able to tell us it happened to me earlier I think it was earlier this week I asked the question to a more senior sheikh there's a question that I was trying to uh, find an answer to and I asked the question to the sheikh and a couple times in the before I heard from him I had like an inclination that maybe I should sit down and try to find the answer to this question. But I also knew that if I sit down and try to find the answer to this question, I'm going to spend hours on this process. And in the end, I'm still going to have to verify it with someone who's more senior, like the person that I asked the question to. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to wait. And I, I did enough research that I can get a feel for it. Let me just wait and hear the answer from the Sheikh. I heard the answer from the Sheikh saved hours of my life and everything is good alhamdulillah uh, so sometimes there's there's things like these I, you know i may feel like i need to do something a particular way but we take counsel from people we trust and they might say like you know that's not the way that you should do it you should do it differently that's not actually a good choice you should do something else whatever it might be and of course you know we take into consideration whatever advice we get we don't necessarily have to follow everything that we hear, but we take it into consideration and it helps us. Because we need that sounding board to protect ourselves from deluding ourselves. And that's why in organizational stuff they're always talking about being wary of groupthink, right? That you don't want a bunch of yes men around you. And I think again this is something that's very apparent from our um, uh, previous foray into the leadership of this country. What happens when you put a bunch of people around you that just agree with you and you get rid of all the ones that disagree with you is that the, the nefs has a large share in interpretation. 
any case, the next verse of the poem, the author says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, وَخْشَدْ دَسَائِسَ مِنْ جُوعٍ وَمِنْ شِبَعٍ فَرُبَّ مَخْمَصَةٍ شَرٌ مِنَ التُّخَمِ He says, Beware of the snares of hunger and of satiety. The snares of hunger and of satiety. Being hungry at times can be worse than going than gorging oneself. Being hungry at times can be worse than gorging oneself. I'm going to stick to what I have here in the commentary and then maybe I'll add some stuff on top of it. We'll see. This is an important, this is a really important line actually. Because, um, like what these are calling us to is not only to go against the nafs, but more importantly even than that is to, is to develop an understanding of our nafs. To really develop an understanding of our nafs. So he says, radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the commentary, this is because frequent hunger is harmful to humans and has with it many dangers. It diminishes strength, spoils one's temperament, and weakens the body, making it difficult to carry out tasks. It harms the limbs, causes an increase in hallucinations, and leads to several intractable illnesses. And so perhaps the hunger which leads to these maladies is, for the one suffering them, worse than having gorged oneself. Maybe the person's not eating enough. So the solution is not just to eat less. Maybe then the person hurts himself by eating less. Satiety also has several pitfalls and its ill effects are severe. It diminishes intelligence, hardens the heart, increases desire for sleep, corrupts the humors, and brings on intractable illnesses. Through satiety, Satan is able to make headway against man and strengthen his authority over him. Satiety causes one to be lethargic and lazy, disinclined to acts of goodness and obedience. All of this happens. And again, if we're not watching ourselves, we don't even recognize it. I'll explain to you a big problem. One of my uh, favorite things to make and to eat are Newfoundland tea buns, tea biscuits, uh, with the recipe of either my cousin or my grandmother. And they're very simple. They're like kind of like a scone, but better, of course, because they're from Newfoundland. And um, no prejudice there. And, you know, they're just really nice to have, like, with some tea, piece of cheese, some butter, whatever it might be. But if I'm honest with myself, every single time I eat those things, I get sleepy. And I get kind of, like, lethargic. I get heavy, you know. And I really probably shouldn't be eating them. But sometimes it's worth it. Kind of similar, you know, kind of similar to donuts. Sometimes the kids, we get donuts. They like to have donuts on Fridays or whatever. Friday morning, you might get some donuts. And every single time we eat the donuts, we're like, man, that was a mistake. We shouldn't be eating these mal'oon things. But uh, if we're not paying attention, we don't recognize that. right? So these, these things come about. They come about in relation to our, uh, our stomach, our self, our satiety. Uh, or our hunger are all affected by these uh, by what we eat and, uh, and our body is affected by it as uh, Sheikh Walid mentioned recently Hafizahullah something to us 
If you haven't signed up for the course, you should sign up for the course. Sheikh Walid is a great scholar and a great spiritual teacher. And a very, very humble person. So um, just because someone's very, very humble doesn't mean that they're not carrying something great. In fact, it, it may be likely that they are carrying something great. And he said that, you know, you can't have spiritual health without physical health. It's very difficult. Uh, because sometimes a person can have a uh, physical issue and they think it's a spiritual issue. It's not even a spiritual issue, it's just a physical issue. So, um, this is something that like, I myself have come to realize a little bit more deeply in, in, in recent times, which is that uh, I, I often get headaches and um, sometimes when I get a headache I will fall into kind of like a rut where I feel like my iman is low which is this is a bad thing to do anyways our teacher always says you can't judge your own iman don't this whole my iman was higher than my iman was lower he said you don't do this stuff at all that's complete nonsense um, but I do it anyways when I get a headache and I realized afterwards that it wasn't reality. It was just the headache. So like you have to learn to manage this response. Um, but again, that's something that we have to pay attention to ourselves in order to realize that. It took me a long time to realize that. And now I have to figure out what to do about it and actually fix it, you know. Um, so in any case, the man advised his son, when the stomach is full, the intellect sleeps. Wisdom is silenced, and the members of the body are too slothful to perform worship. Again, Luqman, Luqman al-Hakim, said to his son, When the stomach is full, the intellect sleeps. Wisdom is silenced, and the members of the body are too slothful to perform worship. Sufyan al-Thawri would say, O assembly of aspirants, aspirants, those uh, people of Himma, People of Himma, do not eat too much lest you drink too much, sleep much, and then lose much. All of these things are tied to each other. If you eat too much, then you'll have to drink too much, and if you have to drink too much, then you'll sleep too much, and then you'll lose too much. One of the ill effects of satiety is that it causes one to forget what it is like to be hungry. One cannot realize the value of something unless he is tested with its opposite. Someone said to Yusuf salam, Do you endure hunger even though you are in charge over the treasure stores of the earth? He replied, I fear lest I eat to satiety and forget the hungry as a result. This should be the mandatory practice of people who are in charge of the wealth of other people. Someone who's in charge of the wealth of other people. Someone who controls the food that other people are going to eat somehow. You know, maybe they're really just a wealthy CEO or something, or maybe they're um, working in some sort of government ministry. They should have to fast. And that fasting would then be a reminder for them of uh, the plight of those who can be affected by their decisions. Probably give them more nefs, some of these people. They'd probably give them more nefs. They feel even more justified. Like they can handle it. Why can't they live off $15 an hour, or $12 an hour, or $10 an hour? Feed their family. Hasbunallah wa ni'man wa
Aisha radiallahu anha said, Actually, you know what? I'm going to read this whole section. In sum, both extremes are blameworthy, and the best of all affairs are those in the middle. So one-third should be for food, one-third should be for drink, and one-third should be for air. Satiety is neither unlawful nor forbidden, as there are reports from the Salaf which show that it is permissible. Satiety is not being full. Okay? <laughs> Satiety is not being full. It's being satisfied. To have one's hunger satisfied. Not to be full, not to overeat. Different things. So when he says it's permissible, he's not talking about overeating. So one third, one third, one third is permissible. Uh, there's the hadith of Anas that mentions the bowls of Umm Sulaim, which relates that the companions ate till they were sated. Another example of this is the hadith of Abu Huraira in the story about the milk. It relates that he said to the Prophet ﷺ, By Allah, I cannot find any more room to drink. This report is well known, found in Al-Bukhari's collection and elsewhere. Nevertheless, it is said that satiety was a rare occurrence among the Salaf. Most often they did not eat to satiety. As Aisha radiallahu anha said, The first innovation, bid'ah, that was inaugurated after the passing of the emissary of Allah was satiety. Wow, what a statement. Hmm. He gives here a kind of comment now in the commentary that I mentioned in the last line of the poem, Alhamdulillah. Uh, it is possible that the author is alluding to complete denial of the lower self, where it is prevented from enjoying permissible pleasures. He warns against that out of fear that it will bring on malaise and despair. Indeed, if the ego is deprived all at once of the pleasures it is accustomed to, it will become exasperated and discontent. Instead, one should deal gently with it and train it gradually until it develops the strength to be content with less. One hadith mentions, make things easy and do not make things difficult. Give glad tidings and do not push others away. So the point here is that when we discipline our nafs, we do that step by step. We don't try to do it all at once. If we try to do it all at once, we'll fail. But we do that step by step, step by step, step by step, piece by piece, piece by piece, piece by piece. And if we do so, then it will get strong. Our, our capacity will get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And we'll be able to do that. But if not, then we'll fail the project completely. And that's why I was saying that it's not necessarily that every person at every stage is going to do the same thing. In another hadith it states, Do good works that you are able to bear. In another it states, Verily Allah does not become bored when you become uh, bored. Uh, I think that should say, Verily Allah does not become bored until you become bored. There's a hadith about that. Uh, that Allah la yamal hatta tamallu. That when you do so much good that like now you got bored of it you don't you're just reading quran to read quran now but you're not really into it then you've looked away from what you're doing and allah looks away from you uh, that may be a mistake Allah and another says a broken saddle neither covers distance in travel nor preserves a back and from allah comes all enabling grace what a beautiful statement that is a broken saddle 
covers uh, neither covers distance and travel nor preserves a back. That if we're trying to discipline ourselves, but in the process we break ourselves, then there's no journey to be had. There's nothing to be done. There's no improvement to be done. So we have to uh, be smart with ourselves and take things step by step, step by step, step by step. The Prophet said that hurriedness is from shaitan and deliberation is from iman. We have to take things shwaya shwaya. Take the step, take the step, take the step. And eventually we'll become better. وَاسْتَفْرِغِ الدَّمْعَ مِنْ عَيْنٍ قَدْ امْتَلَأَتْ مِنَ الْمَحَارِمِ وَالْزَمْ حِمْيَةَ النَّدِمِ We have a lot left in this section. Alhamdulillah. وَاسْتَفْرِغِ الدَّمْعَ مِنْ عَيْنٍ قَدْ امْتَلَأَتْ مِنَ الْمَحَارِمِ وَالْزَمْ حِمْيَةَ النَّدِمِ Empty out the tears from an eye that has filled itself up with forbidden sights. Maintain a strict diet of remorse. Here the author, Allah have mercy upon him, says, Purify your eyes with the water of tears and frequent weeping, and strive to force tears from your eyes. Eyes that have stuffed themselves with forbidden sights. Forbidden sights are everything deemed unlawful to look at. The Prophet wasallam said, The fornication of the eye is in looking. And he said, wasallam. The unrestrained glance is a poisoned arrow from the arrows of Satan. Whosoever forsakes unlawful glances out of fear of Allah, Allah will grant him faith whose sweetness he will taste in his heart. Mm. Allah give us that. The eye is the scout of sins, the, cur- the courier of base desires and passions, and the primary cause of the heart's attachment to others. How excellent is the saying of the poet, if for a single day you send your eye as a scout for your lower self, then the images will soon fatigue you. You will have seen what you cannot obtain in their entirety, nor a portion of which you can endure patiently without. These lines of poetry, I think, are really relevant for not only the maharim, not only those things that are prohibited, but even for things that are permissible. And especially, especially in the reality that we have now with social media. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take more than a Google search to know that there are serious psychological and mental health consequences to constantly looking at images of what other people have and um, what that does to ourselves. It's not even it's not even a problem. It's not even something that's wrong to look at. It's just the furniture store. You know, we were in a furniture store recently and I was we were looking for something in particular and we couldn't find it. And I was telling my wife like, let's just get out of here. Because if we didn't find what we were looking for, let's just leave because if you walk around this place and you look at all this stuff, it's not that it's haram. It's just that you're not going to be as happy with what you have. It's just the inevitable consequence of it. And so if I if I sit on Instagram and I scroll and I scroll and I scroll and I scroll and I, I think that's how you scroll on Instagram or however it is that you do it, then um, I'm not going to appreciate the things I have as much. I'm going to be wanting something else. And so he says, 
If, you, if, if for a single day you send your eye as a scout for your lower self, then the images will soon fatigue you. The images will soon fatigue you. And the images do fatigue us. They fatigue us. They make us tired. Allah help us. SubhanAllah, there's so much wisdom in these things. I wish we could remember them. I wish we could remember them. Tears are a sign of sincere tawbah for the individual. The verse is saying that they should, uh, that the person should empty out tears from an eye that has seen things that it shouldn't do. So tears are a sign of sincere tawbah. They're a good thing. Crying over the mistakes that we've made is a good thing. Not becoming paralyzed over them, but to just have enough remorse to recognize that we need to correct our affairs. Uh, when it doesn't involve the right of someone else, then it's between us and Allah. We just handle that between us and Allah. When it involves the right of someone else, then we have to deal with that right. The Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever has wronged his brother, let him make amends now, for in the hereafter there shall be neither dirhams nor dinars. Let him seek his forgiveness before some of his good deeds are taken away and given to his brother. And if he has no good deeds, the sins of his brother are taken and cast upon him, and he is cast into the hellfire. Let none of you say, But what about being exposed in this world? Truly being exposed in the hereafter is more grave than being exposed in this life. Regarding the author's words, Maintain a strict diet of remorse. It is said that just as a sick person is instructed to avoid certain harmful foods when he takes medicine, likewise anyone who is sick with sins and who takes the medicine of repentance must maintain a strict diet of fear and beware of the things that will spoil his repentance. It's very important. It's very important. That we make a mistake, we repent for it. Afterwards, we should have some level of fear about those things that will lead us back to the mistake that we made. You might say, remember I told you before, he'll do this back and forth and teaches you how to like critically engage with the text. You might say, but keeping to a strict diet of remorse will cause a person to always remain in a state of fear. And that will induce a state of severe regret, which might lead him to despondency and feelings of hopelessness, which are blameworthy. Excellent question. Right? Isn't that a concern here? Okay, you tell people this is the approach to it. But what if then they, they, they beat themselves up into a corner and they can't get out of it? It's basically what he's saying, right? To that I respond. When a servant is remorseful for his remissness and neglect of obedience and saddened and fearful over his sins, it does not necessarily mean he will be led to despondency and hopelessness. Rather, he should in fact show remorse over the pious and voluntary good deeds he neglected and the sins he committed, while not suffering from despondency or fearing Allah to such a degree that he despairs of his mercy. He should instead maintain a state between fear and hope. Some scholars have said, this is beautiful, some scholars have said, when a person is healthy, the state of fear should predominate. 
And when a person is sick, the state of hope should predominate. And he should remember the clemency of the Most High, glorified is he, as well as his mercy, benevolence, and kindness to the believers. That's a really amazing statement, I think. And again, it, it calls us to be knowledgeable of ourselves. When the person is healthy, the state of fear should be there. And when the person is sick, the state of hope should be there. And that's how they keep themselves going. But if they're not doing well, and the only thing they're using against themselves is fear, then they're going to lead themselves down a path of despair, a path of giving up, a path of hopelessness. Allah protect us. And the Prophet said, Let none of you die save that he holds a good opinion about Allah Most High. May Allah grant us such by his bounty and largesse. He always makes dua. After a lot of these sections, he ends them with dua. Allahumma ameen. Allahumma ameen. I think we'll stop here, inshallah. Um, and we'll continue from here next time. The next lines are Oppose the self and Satan and disobey them If they offer you advice be suspicious of them Obey neither of them whether they oppose or give judgment For you know the wiles of opponent and judge. If there's any comments, questions, uh, you know, the usual, whatever anyone would like to share. I need to find the Arabic of this one. Yes. Um, for people that like are trying to be like students of knowledge and everything, like you know, since you've been in academia and everything, um, like how do you notice um, when that stuff is coming out early on in education, and like how do people, um, I guess, kind of keep it in check in like a, a in the academic world? Academia is hard. There's a lot of nefs in academia, uh, in particular. You know, um, um, I think that the best way which is hard to do is to somehow keep the company of people who are very conscious of this uh, because just being around them will cause us to remember that's, that's the best way um, in, in the absence of that at least we can try to have some sort of regular engagement with studying these things because it will remind us you know uh, like I don't know what I would do if I didn't teach these things every single week 
I'd probably be such like far 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 worse than I am already if I wasn't teaching these things every every week. Um, so I think that that helps as well. Um, and I think that one of the other things that helps is really to try to maintain a certain level of adab in the interactions that we have. Because a lot of times, especially when we're dealing with people who have a lot of nefs, it takes a lot of restraint for ourselves to act with adab towards them. To really like have good manners with people. And um, and to like do what's right, so to speak. To do what's right sometimes is a lot harder than um, uh, just like doing whatever we feel like. So adab becomes important too. Um, those are some of the some of the thoughts that I have, and inevitably we'll make mistakes along the way. That's okay. It's part of the journey. We're on a journey. We're not on like a turn the switch on and off type thing. So. there's nothing else inshallah we will continue next time it's good to see a couple faces and oh yes Sylvia yes assalamu alaikum I was speaking and I was on mute I think you were on mute yeah um, I saw your camera come yes. on <laughs> um, I had a question uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I heard um, correctly you mentioned um, um, training the ego little by little is that is that correct is that what you mentioned yeah Okay, so for example, maybe someone reads about fasting and they're like, man, I really want to start a fasting regimen. So they're like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the fast of Dawood. Like they go from not fasting at all to fasting every other day. That's going to be a problem. Whereas if they say, okay, I'm not really accustomed to fasting. I think I'll just start with like trying to do three days in the month, no matter where they are. I'm just going to do three days. And then from there, then maybe they pick up that habit, so they do a little bit more. It's very common in Quran. People are like, "I'm going to memorize the Quran, so I'm going to start now a page a day." And then, like two weeks later, they're not memorizing Quran anymore. Um, maybe, maybe something that they, maybe they want to train their nafs on, like how much YouTube they've been watch, they binge watch. So they're like, right now, I, I, or or whatever it might be, uh, Netflix or something. Like right now, I'm spending. An hour or two a day watching this stuff. I want to drop it to a little bit less, then a little bit less, then a little bit okay. less. Heck yeah. Okay, I get it. Come that in steps in that way. Okay, just start in that way. Okay. Yeah, start small. Okay, got it. Inshallah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're very welcome. And I see Faisal there too. I don't know if you had a question or if you're just sharing your video or you had a comment. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Good. Good to see you. Alhamdulillah.
Alright, well inshallah we will reconvene next time. Barakallahu feekum. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa an astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr illa alladhina amanu wa aminu salihat wa tuasu bin haqqi wa tuasu bin sabr. Jazakum wa khairan. Allah give everyone increase in good and protect all of us and our loved ones. Allahumma ameen. And please make a special dua for our brother who I mentioned anonymously is going to be going into surgery in about an hour. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him complete shifa by the blessing of the Burda, by the blessing of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his rank and with your du'as, inshallah. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Mm. Wow. Allahumma shfiha shifa inna yu adhinu sakkama shfiha shifa inna yu. Wow. Mm. Allah keep her safe and bring her back to you safely, Faisal. SubhanAllah. Is there anything that any of us can do to help? <laughs>